0: Would you stand with me as we read God's word together this morning? And I'm reading from Genesis chapter 31, verses 1 to 13. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and gained all of his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives. And I will be with you. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks were streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I answered, here I am. And he said, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. This is the word of God. You may be seated. This morning, I'm setting the table. We are going to be starting a new series um, in three weeks. I, uh, the, at the end of this week, Beck and I are going to be going on some holiday to Thailand, and Pastor Stan will be preaching next week. The week after that, like I said, we're going to be rolling out our vision and uh, where we sense God leading us. And then in the thir- second week in June, I'll be starting a new series on Joseph, dreams for your family, lessons, lessons from the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph is interesting. Because when, when people from uh, the western part of the world, North America and such, when they read the account of Joseph, many times they see Joseph as a story, as an account about reconciliation and healing. However, you go to other parts of the world, Africa especially, and when people from Africa read the account of Joseph, it's not about reconciliation, it's about family. And that's really where, even as an Oriental audience, as we look at the life of Joseph, there's a lot that's there that talks about family and family issues. And so today I want to set the table for this series by looking at Joseph's father, because really, Joseph's father is where a lot of the issues of why Joseph is is sold into slavery really come out of of the home that he came out of. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at Jacob, but I want to look as as we read this morning, I want to look at Joseph, Jacob as he's coming back. Now, Jacob, when he, when he left he le- when, he, when he left um, out, of, out of Canaan, he had left there 20 years earlier, and when he left, he had nothing. Look what it says in Genesis 32. He said, I am worthy of all the unkindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two groups. When Jacob leaves... When he leaves, and remember, why is he leaving? For some of you, you're brand new to church, you're brand new to Christianity. Why did he leave? Jacob's name means the one who grabs the heel. Jacob was a conniver. Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was not above lying to get what it was that he wanted. And all of his life, he'd gotten what it was that he wanted. He wanted his brother's birthright. He got it. He wanted the blessing. He got it. And sometimes when you get what it is that you want, you realize that it isn't going to fulfill you, and he's going to learn that. Jacob is fleeing for his life because he, he tricked his brother out of the blessing. And really, his brother now gets nothing. And his brother Esau said, I am going to kill him. And so Jacob flees. He flees to the land of where his mother was from. And when Jacob is there, he meets, a, he meets his mother's uncle, a guy by the name of Laban. If Jacob was a conniver and a trickster and a liar, he met his match in his uncle. His uncle had 25 years on him to, be, to know how to do this. And Jacob will spend 20 years. And Jacob says here, when I left, I had only my staff. Is, is that true? He had he had something. He still had that trickster na- nature about him. He still had that conniving nature about him. He still had that bent that I am going to get what I want no matter what it takes to get what I want. And so when he leaves, he leaves empty-handed. And when he returns, he returns a very wealthy man. It's evident. It's evident. He says in there in Genesis 32, he said, I'm unworthy of all the kindness. That little word kindness there is the. here's your geek lesson. That little word kindness there is the word chesed in in Hebrew. It's a word that means God's faithful love. It means it's God's mercy. It's his grace. But it's a word that means even if I choose to turn my back on God, God will not turn his back on me. He remains faithful to me in all that he does. And this is so true in Jacob's life. Because his uncle Laban, look at what his uncle Laban did. Ten times he changed his wages. Look at what he says in Genesis 30, verses 31 to 36. Laban's got a, okay, here's the issue. Laban sees in Jacob something. Jacob has worked for Laban for a month. And Laban steps back and he says, huh, this guy's pretty good. And under his care, he said, "I I could probably make a lot of money. How do I get this guy to stay with me? And Jacob realizes something. Or Laban realizes something. Jacob is head over heels in love with his daughter, Rachel. And he says, I got him. Look what he says here. He says, what shall I give you? He asked. And Jacob says, don't give me anything. But I will do this one thing for you. I will go on tending your flocks and watching over them. Let me go through your flocks today. Let me go through your flocks and." Uh, Remove from them every speckled and spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages, and my honesty will testify before me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that's not speckled or spotted, or lamb that is not dark, dark dark-colored will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said that same day. Look at this. Look what Laban does. I got a little ahead of myself with what I was saying earlier about Rachel. I'll get back to that. Look at what Laban does. Agreed. And then what does he do? That same day he removed all the male goats that were speckled or spotted and, and, and all the dark-colored lambs and placed them in the care of his sons. Then he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to, te- to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. Every time Jacob turns around, Laban is changing his wages. This guy is a skunk. From the word, this guy is not, you guys probably don't know what a skunk is. He, he's not a nice guy. He is a trickster and he just, he's taking Jacob, trying to take Jacob for everything. But there's something interesting. I don't have it here, but you go back and you look at the blessing that Jacob's father prayed over Jacob. Thinking that it was Esau, remember, what was Isaac going to give to Esau? It said God gave the prophecy to, eat to Isaac and, Re, and Rebekah. And the prophecy was this, that the younger would serve the older. Isaac knew that. And yet when they grow older, Isaac loves who? He loves Esau. Esau is the man of the field. He's a, you know, he's a man's man. And Jacob is, it said that he liked to stay closer to the tents. That doesn't mean that he's a weakling or a wimp. We're going to see that in a minute. And Isaac is ready to give to Esau what? Everything. And he's going to give to Jacob what? Nothing. And the tables are turned and Jacob gets everything. When Isaac prays that blessing, God took that seriously. And we see it happening here in Jacob's life later on. Now let me stop there for a second, put it in neutral. There is power when we bless our children. When we say over our children, we pray a blessing over our children. And that doesn't just have to be a one-time thing. But there are those times in our lives when your child graduates, when they get, when they get married, when, at other times in our lives, where you have the opportunity to speak God's blessing over their lives. Don't discount that. Those aren't just simply words. God takes those words very seriously. And here in Jacob's life, God is blessing him. In all the times that, that Laban tries to take things away from Jacob, God just continues to pour blessing into Jacob's life. And it's interesting. It's interesting. In spite of the fact that he tried to change the wages ten times, God just continues to bless. Men may seem to get away with evil, but it's the Lord who watches over his people. Look what it says in Psalms. In Psalms chapter 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cries. Men may seem to get away with, with evil, but God's the one who watches over. Now, here's something interesting. Jacob had a bunch of difficulties, didn't he? But God was using those difficulties to shape Jacob into the man that he wanted him to be. In the same way that God uses the difficulties in our lives to shape and to mold us into who it is that he wants us to be. When Jacob leaves his mother and father, and goes to the land of where his, where his uncle is at. Did God know what he was going to encounter there? He sure did. He did. And did God use Laban? And did God use the difficulties that he walked through? Listen to what he walked through. Genesis 31, 41 to 42. He said it was like this. For 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you for 14 years and for your daughters for 6 years and for your flocks. And you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac, had not been with me, I would—you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has sent. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night He rebuked you. And I think I got ahead. Well, anyway, anyway, God was the one. God was the one who was watching over over Jacob. And God was the one who used all of the stuff that was going on and happening to Jacob. He used that to shape and to mold Jacob into the man that he wanted. And for some of us, we're walking through really tough times. Don't discount those times and don't say, God, I just, I want, I want out of it. And while it might be good to get out of it, do we realize that God is in those difficult times as well, shaping and molding us into who it is, taking the things that maybe in our lives that he doesn't want to be there. I think for Jacob, a lot of it's going to come down to, Jacob, do you trust me? Or, Jacob, will you rely on being a trickster? Will you continue to rely on that? Jacob, when he leaves, he leaves with nothing. And when he returns, he's a very wealthy man. But when Jacob left, he, only ha- he was single. And when he gets to, when he gets to Laban's house, he, 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 he ends up marrying, he falls in love, excuse me, he falls in love with Rachel. And here's the issue. Jacob is so lovesick with Rachel that he will do anything. And Laban says, oh, he, Laban sees, okay, here's where I'm going to come back to what I was, that I was earlier saying. Laban has a, has a problem. He sees that while Jacob is working for him, everything's turning to gold. I mean, everything. And he, and he says, how do I keep this guy here and, and make, a, make a profit off of him? And then he has it, Rachel. He can see that Jacob loves Rachel. And he says, what, what do you want me to pay? He said, I just, you shouldn't just have to be here working for me. What's your wage? And Jacob says, Rachel. I want Rachel. I'll work for seven years for her. And Laban's like, I got gotcha. you. I, I have you. And he says, he says is it, it is better for me to give her to you than to someone else. And Jacob thinks what? I'm getting Rachel. And for the next seven years, he works for Rachel. Be careful of pinning your hopes on something. See, in Jacob's life, he thought, if if I just get Rachel, then I will be something. Then I will have what it is that I want. If I just get the blessing, if I just get the birthright, if I just get Rachel, then I will be complete. And he pinned his hopes on that. Be careful of pinning your hopes on something to bring about fulfillment and meaning into your life. Because after seven years of of working for Laban, the wedding night happens and Jacob is fairly well inebriated, probably by this time. And they bring Leah, excuse me, they bring Rachel into the tent. He thinks it's Rachel, but it's Leah. Their marriage is consummated. And in the morning, it says in the morning, he looked up and there was Leah. Tim Keller, loved that line in one of his sermons about Leah. He said in the morning, it's always Leah. When you pin your hopes on somebody or something, if I get this job, if I get this title behind my name, if I get this house, if I get this girl, if I get this guy, if I get this new phone, then I will be... And whenever you pin your hopes on something besides God, it will always be Leah in the morning. It will always be Leah in the morning. It will always leave you without, leave you empty. And I don't know about you, when I read about Leah, I love Leah. Because Leah, it says, she is what? She was weak-eyed. Laban's got two daughters. He's got one that's weak-eyed. And, and, it, you know, and the other one, it says, that she's just a beautiful girl. Whenever Hebrew does that, to talk about what she looked like, it talks about David, talks about Rebecca, talks about Rachel in this way. Whenever Hebrew does that, when it takes the time to tell you that she was beautiful in form and in, in look, she must have been a knockout. And compared to Rachel, you have Leah that says that she had weak eyes. And when it's talking about her eyes, we don't know if it, it means that she, had, she was cross-eyed or had weak eyes, but whatever it was... She was not attractive. And now she's married to a man who woke up and he says, Leah! And she realizes for the rest of her life, she is going to be married to a man who doesn't love her. Her own personal hell. And Leah, Rachel is given, and uh, then Jacob confronts Laban. And when you read it, it's almost hilarious. And Jacob comes and he says to him, well, What is it that you've done to me? There's an old, there's something in the Hebrew, uh, Hebrew scriptures, it's called the Mishnah. It's, uh, it, it, they're just like commentaries on the side. And in one of the writings in the Mishnah at this point, it says that, you know, this is probably not true, but it says that Leah said, Leah said to Jacob, In the darkness, Isaac called for Esau, and you said, I'm here. In the darkness you called for Rachel, and I answered, I am here. And Jacob comes, and he's full of ire, and he's full of just, you know, what is it that you've done to me? Jacob, the chickens have come home to roost. Jacob, what you did to your father has come right back. And when Jacob says this, Laban answers him. This is, this is very classic. He says in Genesis 29 to 26, Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older. Over here, over here we do not put the younger before the older. Do you see the irony there? The younger, the older will serve the younger. And Laban with with tongue in cheek says, Over here we don't do that. We don't put the younger before the older. And Dave, and he says, work for me, finish the da- your, this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one as well in return for seven years of work. Fourteen years working for this guy. And then he goes out on his own. And once he goes out on his own, then Laban changes his wages ten different times. In addition to this, he's not, he doesn't have just two wives. Each one of those wives, Leah and Rachel, both came with a, with a maiden as well. Both came with a servant. And now both of those are given to Jacob as well. And it's like this, this competition. Who can have the children that's going on there? And Leah, you see her having children and having children. And now maybe my husband will love me. Now maybe he will see me. now. And he gets, she gets to the fourth one, and that's Judah. And she changes. And she says, "Now, now I will trust the Lord. And that fourth son is whom? It's Judah. God gave to Leah a special blessing, didn't he? Because what line does Jesus come out of? He comes out of the line of Judah. And Leah is not loved. Every day she goes along, she sees her sister, whose whose shadow that she stood in all of her life, now in the arms of the man that she loves. But knowing that he will never love her. What a home. And then on top of it, you got the two other maids as well. And not only do you have that going on, but they had children as well. At least, at least twelve different children. Eleven are born, eleven sons, ten sons, and one daughter born to Leah and, and and the other two servant girl other two servant girls. Do you think those kids saw that dad doesn't love mom? Not only does dad not love mom, dad doesn't love us. Dad doesn't love us either. When Jacob gives, you're going to hear more about this in three weeks, so I'll just, I'll just put it out here now too. When Jacob gives Joseph the coat of many colors, he was telegraphing, he was saying to his sons, this is the heir apparent at 17. This is the one who's going to get Everything. And again, Jacob does what his father was trying to do, to give to one son everything. And he gives to Jacob, that he gives to uh, Joseph, that coat of many colors, to say, this is the heir apparent. Can you imagine the tension that was going on in that home? Is there any place in our, in our marriages, or in our, our homes, especially with our children, Is there any place for favoritism and the danger that favoritism can cause in the hearts and in the lives of our children? Tell your children that you love them. Tell them that you're proud of them. I was talking in Sunday school this morning. um, I got a telephone call one night. I missed it. It was... a Saturday night. And Saturday nights I normally don't sleep well because I'm getting ready for Sunday morning. I'm, everything's rolling through my head. And, and I had I'd gone to the kitchen to get a glass of water and I noticed on my phone that I'd missed a phone call. And it was from one of my sons, the son who never calls. And I thought, oh, what's going on at this time of night? And so he, he had said that he was going to call back in a little bit and he called back in a little bit. And I knew in my heart that something's happened. And I, I told him, he, he answer, I answered the phone and he told me who he was and I knew who he was. And he said, uh, I said, just stop a second. I said, before you say anything, I said, you need to know this, that I love you with all my heart and nothing is ever going to change that. Nothing that you're going to tell me right now will ever change my love for you. And not only do I love you, but I am proud of you. No matter what it is that's happened God can take this and God can work in this. It broke my heart what I heard. And I talked to him and said, we're going to get through this. We have the Lord on our side and we're going to work through this and we're going to trust the Lord in this. But I want you to know that when we're done, I said, I will never look at you askance. You are still my son and I'm proud of you and I love you. Do you know what that does to our kids when they hear those words, when they hit rock bottom, when they have blown it, and the world tells them, you are an idiot, you are worthless, what did you do? And when a parent comes alongside of them and says, you don't listen to a word of that, you are my child, you are a child of God, you are a gift from God in our lives, and I love you, and I'm proud of you, and nothing is ever going to change that. In Jacob's life, he had favoritism, he loved one woman, And that was Rachel. The damage that it caused to his other wives. He loved one son, Joseph. And the damage that it caused in that relationship with his sons, they eventually not only sell Joseph off as a slave, but they bring back the the coat of many colors and say to him, do you recognize this? Knowing full well what it is that they've done to their dad. And hurt begets hurt. Like I've said many times, hurt doesn't quarantine well. I hurt I'm going to hurt you, and that's exactly what happened in that relationship. It goes on, it goes on. Jacob returns. Jacob leaves, fleeing from Esau, and now he's fleeing again. He's fleeing from Laban, and uh, in Genesis chapter thirty-one, or yeah, Genesis chapter thirty-one, verses one to three. Oh, let me stop. We had something. We had a little something I missed here. Uh, one of your points on the, on the outline. This is one of these times that I was talking with Pastor Stan this week, and he talked about that there are times in, in when things are descriptive and prescriptive in, in the in the Bible. And the Bible doesn't shy away. I mean, you look at, at Jacob's family, it's like, oh, what a mess. The Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. It tells it exactly like what it is. And when David or when Jacob with his four wives, we say, Oh, so then is it is it right for me to have more than one wife? Listen, guys, would you want to have more than one wife? Really. I think of all the, time, all the work that it's taken Becca to train me. And it's like, oh, what I, could I put up with another wife too? My word. It's one of those times where it's descriptive. Never do the scriptures say that polygamy is wrong. But it shows the, the damage that polygamy causes. It's one of those times where it's descriptive rather than being prescriptive. All throughout scripture, hear this well. And maybe you're saying, well, you're just old-fashioned. Okay, then I'm old-fashioned. But all throughout Scripture, the prescription that God gives for marriage is this. It is between one man and one woman. Never does God say that it's between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. Marriage is always said, God has said in Genesis, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave, cleave to his wife and the two of them shall become one flesh. Jesus goes and talks about that in the Gospels as well. God's prescription for marriage is one man and one woman. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's what God says is, is prescription for marriage. Let's go on. Jacob flees from Laban. In Genesis chapter 31, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belongs to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said, watch this. This is a key, key verse here. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and your mothers. And what, what does it say, that last line? I will be with you. That is a key phrase. Jacob needs to know that. But he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. And Laban comes with with all of the relatives. And he comes chasing after Jacob. And in Genesis 31, 31, uh, verses 25 to 29, it says, Jacob pinched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him. And Laban and, and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, what is it you've done? Now, there's something that we're missing here. God had appeared in a vision that night, the night before, to Laban and said, you do not touch Jacob. You do not touch him. You don't even say anything bad. And I don't know, he, he does say a few things bad to him. But Laban, in verse 26, then Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? You've, you've deceived me. What? This is the pot calling the kettle black? What do you mean, you hypocrite? You are one who's lived by deception. And he says, you have deceived me and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? There it is again. Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of, of tambourines and harps? What a... I told you, if his mouth is moving, he's lying. He had no intention of doing this, as we're going to see. He said, you didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. But last night the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban doesn't get it. He brings all of his men and he's seeking to get back from him. And go to the next scripture, please. There you go. Laban, now Laban answered Jacob. He said, the women are my daughters and the children are my children and the flocks are my... What is he thinking? Again, what is Laban seeking to send Jacob away with? Nothing. Not his wives, not his children, not his flocks, nothing. He says, "The the women are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yeah, what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have born? God was the one who took care of Laban. And God was the one who took care of Jacob. When God said to Jacob, return, and some, for some of us, God is speaking something into your life. He is telling you to do something that's very specific. And you're wrestling with that right now. If God has told you to do something, the next thing that you do is tells you what it is that you believe about God. If God is calling you to do something, if God is calling you to make a job change, if God is calling you to do something and step out in faith and do something that he's calling you, then you need to do that. And God had called Jacob to go home. And God said, I will be with you. And as Jacob leaves, Laban is left left back there, and he's left with what? Not a whole lot. He's left with his sons, and he's left with not much. And Jacob leaves, And it's almost like Jacob must have been thinking he's going from the oven to the frying pan. He's going from one danger to the next danger. Because as Jacob flees from Laban, where is he going back to? He's going back home. And what's homely for him? Remember what's the last word he heard from home? I am going to kill Jacob. That's the last thing he heard from his brother Esau. And so now Jacob goes home. And when he goes home... Before, his, before he gets to the country of where his brother's at, he sends out messengers to them and says, your, your brother is coming home, and these flocks and things, he sent out like a, a gift to them. And the messenger comes back to Jacob and says, your brother's coming with 400 men. Would you be a little concerned? Okay, what did God said, I will be with you. Yeah, but he's got 400 men. Sometimes we have to take that promise from God and we have to walk with that promise. I know what's happening around here. I know all the obstacles here. But God, you said for me to leave and you were the one who said that you would be with me. I'm going to trust you. And does Jacob? Mm -hmm. See, Jacob goes back. He's a strong man. When Jacob left his father, you know, it says that he liked to be around the tents. And we think, okay, the guy has a weakling or a wimp. Ah, hardly. Remember when he sees Rachel for the first time? She's a shepherdess. And there's a big stone over the, over the, mouth, of the, over the mouth of the well. And only when several people came there could they move the stone. And Jacob comes over there and he, he moves the stone. He was not a wimp by any means. And Jacob, when he leaves, is a strong man. When he, when he comes home, he is a broken man. Physically, he is a broken man. He said, "20 years out in the field, where he has had to take care of Laban's sheep, and he's had to—if if one of them were lost, he was the one that took care of them. Sleepless nights and all this—and he was a very, he was a very broken man physically. And when he sees and when he hears that Esau is coming with 400 men, what does he do? He does what he always did—he falls back on his on his conniving and trickster ways. Now, think about this. Listen to what happens." He separates out the family, and he puts who out in front. He puts the maids out front, and their children. Then the next group is whom? It's Leah and her children. And finally, in the back is who? It's Jacob, and Rachel, and Joseph, and Benjamin. If they if they come and they do some killing, well, they're going to get who's going to get it first? The maids. And if they get through that line, who's going to get it next? Leah and her, kid, what is that saying? What is it saying to them that what is it, how, what, I don't even matter in this home? And Jacob separates out the family, and he goes by himself, and this is, this is huge. What happens to Jacob? And it says that it says in Genesis 32, verse 20, 24 to 27. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched Jacob's hip so that it was his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Now, that's interesting because who's the man? Many believe, most commentators believe this is a pre-incarnate form of Christ that he's wrestling with. And, and, and it says that... Uh, He said, "Let me go for his day." Uh, Do we have the slide before that one? Maybe not. Um, What what it says there? It it says that when the man saw that he could not overpower him, what do you mean? God can't overpower him. God couldn't wrestle. You know, just throw him right to the ground. All he had to do was touch his the hip of his or the his socket of his hip, and he's now for the rest of his life he's going to walk with a limp. So what's going on? What does he mean when he couldn't overpower him? I think what we get is in, for the answer comes with the next question. Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob, ever the conniver, ever the one looking for that blessing. And God says to him, what is your name? Did he not know Jacob's name? Of course he knew Jacob's name. But he wanted Jacob to repeat it back to him. So what's your name? name's Jacob, the conniver, the trickster, the one who gets things by his own wits. I think the reason that God met him here before he crosses into the land is because before he could cross into the land, God needed to shape and mold his character into the man that he was going to become. Jacob enters the land with a limp. Jacob enters the land a broken man. Now, careful with that. Matthew 5.5, 5, and with this I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it to a close. Matthew 5.5 5 says, blessed are the meek. Now, when I first heard this, it's like, well, let's meek. Let's all get meek together. I mean, meek, we, we, we attribute meekness with weakness, right? And nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus says, "Blessed are the meek, for what well, they will inherit the earth." The word "meek" is the, in the Greek is a word. It, it's "praos," and "praos" is a word that comes. It, it has an agricultural background. It was a word that they used when they talked about breaking horses. I, I don't know if some of you understand that. Uh, my grandpa, when and he was uh, a much, much younger man, he worked for a um, he worked for a farm that. Uh, it was a big brewing company in the part of the United States, Pabst Brewing Company. And he worked for that farm. He was the foreman of that farm. And they used horses. And the type of horses they used were called draft horses, percherons. They were a big horse. And my grandpa talked about the fact that before that they could be used, they needed to be broken. He said they were powerful, powerful horses. And left to their own devices, he said, they could do a lot of damage. He said before they could be used, they had to be broken. They had to have, you know, be able to, you know, when somebody led them along that they wouldn't shy away from that they would follow them. And they, that's one of the jobs that he had was to break the horses, make them to be usable. And when Jesus says here, blessed are the meek, he's saying blessed are the broken. Blessed are those who come before God and say, God, this is who I am but I lay myself down before you and I give you all that I am. On our own, can we do a lot? We can do a lot of damage on our own. But on, but in the hands of God, can we do some, some amazing things? Can God do some amazing things to us? He absolutely can, but he can't if we are not willing to lay down our lies and be broken before God. Jacob, when he enters the land, is a broken man. He's not only been broken physically, but he's a broken man. And does he still have some lessons to learn? Mm, He does. Just like the rest of us, he still has some lessons to learn. I was reading an illustration. I'm going to get the guy's name right. And I don't... Sorry. Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett is a jazz pianist. And in 1975... He, uh, if you can go on YouTube and, and look him up, Keith Jarrett, 1975, he had a concert in Cologne, Germany. And when he, when he, uh, whenever he would have a concert, he would always order up a special grand piano, uh, a Bosendorfer, uh, uh, but it was a special uh, concert grand piano. And when he got there, there was a big mix-up. They didn't, they didn't know uh, what it was that he wanted. And by the time that he got there, the only piano that they had was the, was the stage piano, was the, was the practice piano. And they, they wheeled this thing out there, you know, there's chips of paint off and there, everything else, and they wheeled it out there, and Keith Jarrett, who's a jazz pianist, you know, he, this, what, this performance was going to be an album. And so he looked at it, and he, his manager looked at it, and he started to press the keys. The pedals didn't work, the middle, of the, the middle black keys didn't work, and it was terribly out of tune. And Keith Jarrett and his manager, they walked around, and they walked around this thing, and, and the manager walked over to him and said, we can't, we can't play. And, and the, the, the concert hall people said, we have a full house. We, have, we, we can't just turn away all these people. And Keith Jarrett looked at the piano one more time, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try. And that night he got out there, and, and people, didn't know, people didn't know the condition of this piano, and the moment he got onto that piano, you can listen to the concert on, on YouTube. The moment he got on there, they said it was just electric. It was just magic. He took that broken instrument, that instrument that, was just, that people said was unplayable, and he made an amazing, an amazing album out of, that, out of that piano. And for some of us, we come before God and we say, you know, I, 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 got, I got nothing. I got nothing to offer you, God. And what God desires, no matter where it is that you've been through, no matter what it is that you've done with your life, when you put yourself into God's hands, no matter what you've been through, no matter what the world says about you, when you put yourself into God's hands and say, God, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And God, if you can use me, Lord, here I am. Is that what God's looking for? you can shake your head, yes, that's exactly what God's using, looking for. Because those are the people that God can use. And those are the ones that he can make beautiful music through. Blessed are the broken. As Jacob enters the land, he enters the land with a limp. And as we enter into this sermon series, we're going to see a family that is very dysfunctional. But yet, how God used and worked in the midst of that family. You may be in a family today or you may have come out of a family that's extremely dysfunctional. Look at Jacob's life and look at Joseph's family as a testimony of what God can do with people. Judah is the example. You watch Judah as we walk through this sermon series. Watch Judah and the change that happens in the life of Judah and the change that can happen in our lives if we are willing to lay our lives into God's hands and say, God, here I am. Use me. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you again for the word of God. And Lord, I don't know who uh, your word was for this morning, but I thank you that, God, we're not here by accident. I thank you that, God, you are the one that redeems the years that the locusts have eaten. Some of us, we're glad that you don't pull the sheets back on our lives. That you don't reveal to the world what it is that that we've done. And we're ashamed. But God, you have forgiven us. If we have prayed and asked you to forgive, you not only forgive that sin, but you say you choose to remember it no more. You are the God who reinstated, you are the God who used a man like Zacchaeus. You are a God who spent time with sinners that you might not only redeem them, but that then you might turn around and use them for your glory. And God, you long and you desire to use us for your glory. And Lord, I pray that as we come before you this morning, for some of us, you are in the process of breaking us. That we would be useful for you. Lord, for some of us, you ask us, what is our name? You ask us, what is it that we've done? You know. But yet you call us, Lord, to be honest, not only with ourselves, but with you. You ask of us, Lord, to lay our lives into your hands. You've said that in Romans 12. And God, I pray as a congregation, as a people, as husbands and wives, as young people, we will do just that. We'll say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Use me. Fill me and use me. So that your name might be glorified. I pray that God, your hand would be upon marriages, upon relationships in this room, upon relationships between parents and children, children and parents. God, in the midst of this series, would you do what only you can do and bring about restoration and healing into relationships? And I pray, God, all of this to the glory of your precious name. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you richly. May the Lord bless you richly. May God, the God of grace, the God who redeems the years that the locusts have eaten, may he pour into your life understanding of who he is and what it is that he's doing in your life. And may you see him as good and always good in what it is that he does. In Jesus' name, amen.